It's our September 10th waiver wire episode. We'll get you updated on all those hitters and pitchers you should consider picking up on your rosters right now. Plus, a little bit about where we were on September 11th, 20 years ago. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I want to wish you a happy and healthy Jewish New Year. It was just uh, the holiday Rosh Hashanah, which means New Year, and uh, happy and healthy one to you. Same to you and to everyone who celebrates. Happy New Year to them as well. Sounds good. So a uh, brief episode today just to get you set on your waiver wire picks. Um, and we're just going to jump right into it right now. Uh, Ruben, who you got for uh, this weekend to pick up with only uh, three fab periods remaining? Okay, so I'm going a little bit deeper here for people who are looking on the waiver wire and trying to find these guys because a lot of the guys we mentioned sometimes aren't there. Uh, Lane Thomas. For the Nationals, he's playing basically every day. He's batting 294 with three homers and one stolen base in the last week. He's got four stolen bases ready for this year, and he's only owned in 8% of a CBS League. So if you want to take a risk on him, he's a guy who's playing every day, and that's something you got to look for. Um, with Alex Dickerson out for the uh, San Francisco Giants and with Austin Slater out as well with a concussion, Darren Ruff, he's getting even more time. I've mentioned him in the past. Um, he's went 6-for-18 last week with a homer. He's only 6% on in CBS, and again, he is getting playing time. And if you want stolen bases, I hate to say it, but this is a former Met. Andres Jimenez, he's only 13% owned in CBS. He stole three bases in the last week and batted 263 during the course of that time as well. He's got 10 stolen bases for the year, so obviously he's going to get a whole bunch of stolen bases now in September, so it'll raise his price when it comes to March next year. All right. A uh, couple guys. You know, on, on the Giants, you got uh, Lamonte Wade Jr., who's playing pretty much every day. In the last month, batting a cool 276 with four homers. Three stolen bases, 12 RBI. He's batting cleanup for the first-place Giants. So, I I mean, run production <laughs> can't get better if you're batting cleanup on one of, the, one of the best teams in baseball. So give him a look. Uh, how about also uh, Odubel Herrera, 20% owned. Since August 1st, six homers, 318 batting average. Uh, he's got 12 homers, five stolen bases on the year. 260 on the year and 366 at bats. So Dubal Herrera for the uh, Phillies trying to win a playoff spot. That's a good one. And uh, I'll give a catcher here. Um, he's not going to be available in two catcher leagues, but he might be available in one. 30% owned uh, Alejandro Kirk of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, the guy is just a professional baseball hitter. I mean, he's got in just 130 at-bats, seven homers, 22 RBIs, batting 273. And I actually think he's better than that. I think he's more of a 270, even 280 hitter with, let's call it, 15 home run power. Um, he, he really should be a number one catcher every league. I mean, uh, if he's going to be the starting catcher next year, he is an easy number one catcher. Uh, so pick him up if he's available in your league right away while he is extremely hot. And I really like that. I really like that Lamonte Wade pick there. He's probably the, one of the quietest seventeen home run, six stolen base guys, batting almost two sixty for the entire season so far, on the market. And if he's available, you got to grab him. 
Absolutely. Well, so uh, saves. Uh, if you're desperate for saves, uh, Rowan Wick, only 10% owned in Chicago. Uh, the Cubs are going to play some close games on the year. They traded their whole team, but you know they have uh, Schwindel, uh, who's hitting a homer practically every other hour at, at this point, keeping games close and winning games. They're going to get a couple save ops. He's free right now. He's 10% owned, so if you need somebody, pick him up. Pitcher preview, Ruvain. Uh, let's see. Anybody to pick up who's got a good start this week or a two-star pitcher this week or even a future two-star pitcher? I don't like any of the two-star pitchers this week, so I'm going to go with a couple single-star pitchers. First one I'm going to mention is John Lester. He's actually only 20% owned in CBS. He's slated to pitch the Mets this week, uh, either when I think it's supposed to be Wednesday, and he's a possible two starts, uh, future two-star pitcher the following week. In the last four to five starts, he's only around one run. Yes, he doesn't strike out that many people. He strikes out maybe three to four guys a, a game, but he's pitching against the Mets this week and a possible two-start next week. So that's an interesting name if he's available. And another guy who we mentioned actually in our prospect episode, and that's Glenn Otto. His first start the Rangers against the Astros, he went five innings with two hits and seven strikeouts. And this week, he's playing against the Astros again. He's also a possible two-star pitcher, and he's only 12% owned in CBS. Now, it may be better off for people to be using these guys and or middle relievers, because if you've been using a lot of two-star pitchers recently, they can really destroy your ERA and whip, as a lot of my fantasy teams have noted. And it's just something to watch out for for the rest of the season, because yes, you want to get those wins, but you can't be so desperate to get those wins. And screw your ERA and whip for the entire season. Yeah, you know, wins, two-star pitchers are less effective these days down the stretch because pitchers aren't going deep into games. A couple of years ago, you know, tip pitchers would pitch typically six, seven innings, and, you know, even if it was not the best start, it gives you a chance to win the game. Pitchers are pitching four or five innings these days. The longer you're in, the better you have a chance to win it, and if that's not going to be there, how much is that win worth it to you? Um, you know, don't just play garbage pitchers because, uh, again, ERA can change hands. It, somebody else can blow up and, and pass you. You know, those ratio stats, they're, they're not set. They're not, ah, well, it's late. It's not going to affect my ratios. Uh, things do. Even batting average in uh, labor. I moved up a batting average spot with some good play over this week. Um, they're not set. Um, don't just poo-poo uh, and say, well, just bank the count. Just get the counting stats and poo-poo the ratios. Uh, it's still up in the air. you still got a month to go, and... Uh, there are more changes. Um, I'm gonna pick. Yeah, I'm gonna pick for a um, uh, pitcher preview. Uh, well, first of all, I, he's not gonna be owned in many leagues. Uh, he's not, sorry, he's not gonna be available in many leagues. Vladimir Gutierrez, seventy um, percent owned on CBS, so still thirty percent available. He's got nine wins on the year, four ERA. Um, I like his schedule coming up. He's playing at Pittsburgh, and then the following week to start versus Pittsburgh versus Washington. That is an excellent schedule. So if he is available in your league, probably in a 10 to 12 mixed, you pick him up. Uh, let's go to um, Eric Lauer. He's my, my favorite pick of the week. Um, playing at Detroit, and then he's to start the following week against St. Louis and New York, uh, the Mets. Uh, I think that is a fantastic schedule for an underowned pitcher. Definitely, uh, if you want some wins, I think that could be a good spot to get them. Uh, two other two-star pitchers don't love, but just wanted to tell you about John Gant. He's been pitching okay as of late, but he has a very tough schedule. Yankees and Toronto, that's a desperate play in my mind. Points League, uh, you could try it. Uh, and Mitch Keller, um, I don't love this, but 
versus Cincinnati and at Miami. He has been better in his last five starts with a 4-5 ERA. Uh, but look at his FIP over the last couple of starts, a 3 FIP. He's pitching with a 438 BABIP very recently. Uh, I kind of think he's getting cheated, and he's actually been pitching very, very well lately. K per nine of nine lately. So um, it's not as bad as you think. And one of those starts is at Miami, which is a good start. Pirates don't win many games, so it's not a great play for a win. But um, if you are desperate for wins, it's it's a possibility. Again, this is I'm talking NL only and maybe 15 team leagues. Uh, nothing shallower than that. I also want to mention one. Yeah, I want to mention one other guy. He may be available because people may have dropped him because he was injured the prior week. But that's um, what's his name from? Uh, I have him right here, John Gray. John Gray. He is he is fifty nine percent owned in CBS. But a lot of people dropped him the week before because he was injured. He had a forearm issue, but he's pitching his last outing. He had eight strikeouts. He's at Atlanta and at Washington, which is not that bad. If you can deal with the ERA, then it may be an issue. He's very good for strikeouts. So if you need a guy for strikeouts, he's the guy. Yeah, if you are chasing strikeouts, if tri- if strikeouts are very uh, much clustered in your league, if there's a very large gradient in terms of the points, he is the perfect person because he will strike out roughly 15 guys next week. Uh, that is, it's not you're not it's not a whim of whether Colorado wins or not. He will get the strikeouts. He's a strikeout pitcher. So uh, John Gray is perfect for that spot if you should need that role. Again, it's always dependent upon what you need. At this point in the year, you're not picking for value in a Roto League. You're picking explicitly for the categories that you need to make gains on. Um, that, that's something to note. All right, injury time. Moving. A couple of uh, people injured, a couple people coming back. Give us the lowdown. Yep. Okay, we'll start with Jamison Tyon from the Yankees, who's placed on the IL with a right ankle injury, right ankle tendon injury. They said it was partially torn. He's wearing a boot and already received a PRP injection. All that being said, the Yankees are hopeful he can return after missing only one start. If you believe that, I probably have a bridge to sell you. Willie Adamas was placed on the IL with a left quad injury. He's already hitting in the batting cage, and he said he may not be 100% recovered until the offseason. So if you have him on your bench, you may want to think about other options. Uh, We talk about Jesus Aguiar. Jesus Aguiar is one of the league leaders in RBIs who's placed on the IL with left left knee inflammation. We don't know how bad it was until they say he was on the IL because at first they called it just a sore knee, but now he is actually placed on the IL, Joe Panic and Lewin Diaz can find some extra time at first base for the Marlins. Connor Joe, a guy we mentioned in the waiver wire in the past, was placed on the IL with a right hamstring strain. He received a PRP injection already, and he's hopeful to return this year. AJ Pollock was placed on the IL also with a right hamstring strain. Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, said last week that he would hope he'd only miss two to three weeks with this grade two strain. Billy McKinney will actually see some extra time in the outfield with him out. Brandon Nimmo was placed on the IL with a right hamstring injury um, between the innings of a du- uh, games of a doubleheader, actually. And actually, his recovery is supposed to be ahead of schedule. He may actually be uh, activated this week, if possible. And some updates. Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw left... Uh, had a left forearm strain, has been out for an extended period of time. Dave Roberts said that he should be activated this week to rejoin the starting rotation. Same with Lucas Giolito. He was on the I.O. with a left hamstring strain. He's hopeful to come back this Tuesday. Lance Lynn, right knee inflammation, hopeful to come back this weekend. Someone who's not coming back is Zach Britton. 
He had Tommy John surgery, a bone chipper's moved. He was probably going to miss next year as well. And I'm also going to mention a couple other guys here. Mike Trout may or may not come back this year, leaning toward not. Jacob deGrom still leaning toward not coming back. And I'm also going to mention Chris Bassett because it's a, it's a good story. He's already throwing off flat ground. He's had a, he, had, he had a facial fracture after getting hit in the face with a line drive. He said he would come back as soon as possible. The Athletics may be a little more cautious, cautious with him, but they may want him back for the playoff run so you never know he may he's not expected to come back this year but you never know so uh while we have a little bit of time here just to check on how how are you doing in your league Vuvain, with three weeks to go three weeks to go we got so so uh, uh stuff going on here first of all a couple of home leagues i'm in i'm in second place in both of them um era and whip took a hit in one of them otherwise i would have been first i was in first last week or where the teams were together tgfbi i was in 14th or 13th place about a month ago, but I don't give up, and I'm currently in 6th place, only a point and a half out of 5th, so I'm trying to make a good showing there, and we're together in, in a um, NFBC league, and that we've been out of basically since May, so yeah. Yeah, that league is is uh, uh, like something else, you know, and, and the thing is that with that league, and you know, one, one point that I do want to make to everybody here is that, you know, we made some good picks. If you look at our route, we had Trevor Rogers, Jose Ramirez, Ozzy Albies was fine, Walker Bueller, we hit on the right pitcher. You know, we we've we've hit on a lot of the right people. And there's you know, you would think that, well, if you hit on a lot of good guys, you you'll be doing well. And the truth of the matter is that what's more important than hitting on the right guys to earn you a very big return on those guys, what's almost more important is not to hit landmines is to have more picks on your team that are right than wrong rather than the gigantic leaps. Obviously, if you hit on the best guys, you're in you're in great shape, but I think it's more important and I I I of course will research this and show this mathematically that the frequency is more important, the getting it right directionally is more important than just getting a few guys magnitude-wise. Do, do you agree with this, uh, first of all? Yes, I, I 100% agree because it's all based on your philosophy. If you're getting, if you're doing what you're doing is, if what you're doing is right, you'll pick the right guys. Whether they get hurt, there are some things you just cannot control. Like um, to give you an example, in my TGFBI league, which I'm in sixth place right now, I picked Marcelo Zuno with my third pick. How am I supposed to know he's supposed to be out for the entire year? How am I supposed to know Keston Hero is not going to hit? Otherwise. My first couple first rounds have been all, if you f keep it the process, it's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, Garrett Cole, Bo Bichette, Blake Snell has turned it around late, Nick Castellanos late, Paul Goldschmidt who's been hitting, Will Smith. I mean, these are all guys who have been doing well. And later in the draft, I had Chris Bassett. I had Kyle Seeger. I had Giovanni Gallegos. I even had Ronda Franco sitting on my bench. So if you look at your draft and how you did in, in March and, and February when you made those picks, Look at the team you started with. Look what you did. See if your process was right. If your process was right, there's really nothing to change for next year. It's just sticking with the process and being confident in it. Yeah, I mean, in uh, in labor, that uh, the mixed auction labor in second place and you know just a point and a half out of first, competing with uh, the great Ron Chandler and Jeff Zimmerman is right in the thick of things as well. Um, we really hit on so many great things. Um, I mean, Jose Breu was... Positive was, you know, good, good return. Eduardo Escobar, great. Kyle Seeger, 34 homers. Um, Mark Canna, look at our outfield. Almost all cheap guys, but they all were decent. Mark Canna, 
Randall Grichuk, Raymond Tapia, Alex Verdugo, Fran Moraes. These are guys who are just earning a little bit of a profit, but we didn't lose anything. Like those guys have been on that. My outfield here, that's the outfield that was drafted. Right? I didn't have to go through cycles and cycles. They're, they have a great return. And I don't have any superstars in the team, really. I also have Bryce Harper. Um, you know, he was an undervalued guy. Uh, maybe, you know, second-round prices should have, been, should have been a first-round player. But it's not about hitting on the oh-my-God players. It's just making sure that you don't bottom out. It's where you hit and hit and just have a positive return everywhere. Slow and steady wins the race. And, and that's really the, the point I'm making here. Um, as, far as, as far as other uh, leagues I'm in, uh, Tout Wars... I am in the semifinals competing this week. It's a two-week uh, two week, uh, week against Clay Link. Um, Clay Link is tricky, uh, so uh, good luck. Hey, I, I need some luck here to, to beat him. He's pretty good. Uh, and the other bracket is uh, Frank Stamfel and Ralph Lifshitz. Uh, hopefully, if uh, I win, I'll be facing one of those guys. And in my TGFBI league, uh, back in first. I think I'm about 30th overall. So uh, I think... Overall, successful season, you know, doing pretty, pretty well, actually, in most of the leagues other than that, that horrendous NFBC league, which, you know, we hit on players, just, you know, there was a lot of holes on the team, and the the, the, the plugs didn't work. You know, we filled them with, with pitchers that just didn't work, and we filled them with hitters that just didn't work. It's like a boat that's sinking, and... You know, you've got great parts of the boat, but you can't fill the plugs. you got the wrong pieces to fit in, and all the water is coming out of the water. I'd rather have it's not such a great boat, but the plugs are fitting very nicely, and it's sturdier. Does that, that analogy make sense? It does. It, it really does. Um, I think the the problem that we had, and we I had this problem last year in the shortened season also, we had too many players on one team. And if one team went through COVID, like the Red Sox are going through now, we had a lot of players who ha- happened to be on the Mets. It just happened to be. Yes, we're Mets fans, but the prices at the auction were right. And we just picked these guys, and it just happened that there was a rash of injuries, and they just never got they never got going. And it's so hard to catch up if you fall behind so early. Once you fall behind early, it is very hard to catch up. So you're not supposed to give up. Like, I haven't given up on a TGFBI, even though I lost a whole bunch of players there, and I'm still fighting. I'm still in fifth place. I'm going to make it respectable. But it just goes to show that you can make the same mistakes year in, year out, and not notice it. Like, we had too many Cardinals in one uh, last year. This year, we had too many Mets. How do you fix that? You don't. The market really dictated how we're going to make our picks, how who we're going to take. So it's hard to do that, but you have to keep it in the back of your mind when you do it next year and the year after, not to try to bunch so many players from one team, because if a good team does very well, great. You're going to have a great season. But if the team bombs, you're going to have a big problem. It's hard to do that, though, because, you know, you're picking, you know, you have values for each player, and, you know, there's other risks that are involved and team roster construction that's involved. And to me, you know, the the last, last tiebreaker is, oh, maybe I shouldn't have them from the same team uh, because of, of maybe COVID and, and or rainouts and they're all together. Uh, so to me, it's it's just something not that it's too hard to, to, to really take control of. Maybe in the 60-game season, I, we should have been a little bit more conscious, but I, I don't know. For me, I, I, I'm going to avoid thinking about that because there's just too many other things that are of higher importance to think of. But if it happens in back-to-back years, it's hard not to think about it, though. Um, 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think we were beat, but uh, specifically this year by one specific thing. But I, I you know, it's process. You know, well, sure, it happened to us, and Mets had a lot of rainouts and injuries. But I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not there yet to really uh, change my thinking on, on, uh, you know, being more conscious of that. For now, let, let's, let, let's, let's okay. see how it goes. You know. Oh well, so see, this is how a team works. When we have two, when you have two people on a team, when you have two people managing a team, you can discuss this. You can decide what you're going to do next year and how you can tweak it and go forward. This is a ba- this is a great debate that we have we have during the course of the season. How we're going to go through this? What we how we balance a team? And if if you have a team where you're working with someone, a co-manager, this is the best way to talk things out because sometimes having one person by themselves, it's very hard to talk this out. Sure. I also think that, you know, we do, you know, seven, eight leagues or whatever we're in. Um, I do think, though, it's hard to win all eight of them. And just because of the random process risk that goes on, you're, you're not, you know, you're going to make some mistake or you're, you know, you're not getting the exact same players in every league. So in six leagues, maybe they, they hit well, but I don't know, the two other leagues that you tried something else or the price was good on some other player and they randomly didn't work out. That's what happens. I mean, you, you don't expect to win every single league. You expect, though, to win more than not. The idea is to win more than not. So, you know, if, if we're having a great season in six out of seven leagues and the one other league we're in 13th place, um, I'm, you know, that happens. I think that's part of the normal winning. Right? That's, that's part of the normal thing. Um, it's it, one it thing is, if it we is. were... Yeah. It is, and next year may be different because they may not have the seventeen double headers. Players will be playing full games again. You may have a full time DH in the National League. You may not have a starting second uh, runner on second base to start extra innings. So there may be a lot of differences that play into next year as well. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, one point. Yeah, one, one point of why the Mets hurt us so much is you know when when aside from a lot of the injuries when they had so many rainouts and you go from nine innings to seven innings, that's four innings every two games, right? You're losing two innings a game. Uh, and that happened quite a bit for the Mets. You add up the math of that, you're losing, you know, a full two weeks of games from from, from these players, right? If, if you're missing that many that many uh, games from rainout and changing games. Yeah. So, like, you know, 10 rainouts, that's, co- that's 20 games of doubleheaders. You're losing 20 times, you know, two innings a game. That's... 40 innings, I mean, you know, that's like a week's worth of games already there. So it's, uh, you know. Not that we're making excuses or anything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that, but that, that but uh, I'm sort of alluding to what, what the issue was for the Mets this year um, in, in a lot of things they do. But all right, that's what it is. Uh, any other thoughts before we wrap up this uh, early September waiver wire show? Yeah, I, I think that people should watch the September 11th game tomorrow at at, at, at City Field when the Mets play the Yankees because they're going to have a lot of the players from September who played in September 2001, um, both for the Mets and the Yankees. It's going to be very emotional, and I still remember listening to that first game back when Piazza hit the home run. I remember listening to it on the radio, and it was one of the most emotional things I've ever heard. Yeah. Do, do you remember where you were during 9-11, by the way? Yes, I, I was actually in college at the time, and I remember seeing ash fall from the sky. It was very eerie looking, um, but yeah, it was. It's something you'll never forget. It's like when people say they remember when uh, Kennedy was assassinated. I remember where I was for nine eleven. I remember where I was when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup, their only Stanley Cup. So there are certain things that you always remember where you are when something happened. Yeah, yeah. For for me, I was also in college. I was, uh, I think you were in Brooklyn. I, I was over in in Queens, um, and 
uh, on Tuesdays that that year it happened to be I didn't have any classes until uh, two o'clock. Um, so <clears throat> I remember uh, I was turning on the TV and I think I was just watching some I don't know, I think Jerry Springer. I used to put it on sometimes back then while it was still fun. Um, and I had one of those old, uh, you know, consoles with the antenna up to the sky, and all of a sudden there was just white fuzz when I put it on, when I put on the TV. And I remembered, I don't know why, but a few years back, I remembered the other time that there was some fuzz on Channel 11 was when there was a problem at the World Trade Center when there was the threat of the bombing back, uh, uh, back in the 90s. And the only station that worked was Channel 2 CBS in New York because they broadcasted off the top of the Empire State Building while all the other stations broadcasted off the World World Trade Center. And I remember flipping 11 to Channel 9 to Channel 7 and Fuzz. And I don't know why I even thought this, but I said, well, there's either something wrong with my TV or, God forbid, if I turn on Channel 2 and it's working, there's a problem at the World Trade Center. And... I cannot tell you that feeling when I was thinking this and I turned the channel to two and I just see, you know, smoke and and, and, and images of what the heck happened to the city and, and to the building. And I, I just fell on my face there that, oh, my God, that's really what happened. Um, that was a that was a scary time. I mean, there was no it was just news 24 hours a day for the next two weeks and you're glued to your TVs. That was just a. Horrible time. I, I'm definitely old enough to remember uh, to remember that back in college. Uh, it was it was terrible. And I went to Queens College, and you can see the smoke for the next week. We had class the next day. Um, you could see the smoke coming out of where the World Trade Center is from, where I was in Queens College. Um, it was frightful. Wow. Same was... with me. I was in Brooklyn College. I actually saw the when the towers were on fire. Still, I I, re- I distinctly looking at the window and being able to see that, and that was a freaky thing. But then on the flip side, when the Yankees were in the World Series and President Bush the second actually threw out a first pitch and he threw a strike and that crowd went nuts and everyone's chanting USA USA USA. That's the complete opposite of what with the feeling we had on September 11th. Yeah, and uh, um, you probably remember also a couple weeks after when there was a plane crash uh, in the uh, Bell Harbor area um, that everyone was freaking out. Um, and uh, Yeah, it, it, it landed about um, 15 blocks from my house. So, yes, I do remember that very well. Yeah, um, and oddly enough, that corner, um, my father actually lived in that corner where that plane hit, um, and all three out of the four corners were destroyed. Um, in that plane crash, the one house from that corner that actually still remained was the house that my father lived in. So that was like, oh, my God. Wow. All right. Anyways, enough reminiscing about September 11th. Uh, again, 20th anniversary coming up tomorrow. Um, and I want to wish everybody safe. Uh, God bless America. God bless the USA. And uh, thank God we're here talking about fun stuff in baseball 20 years later. Um, you know, it's a little bit different time, and hopefully, uh, safe times in America and peace around the world. And will, and will baseball helped there. heal. And baseball helped heal. Yeah, no, it did. It did. Uh, I remember that game, that game also with Piazza hitting that homer. That was that was incredible. It really was. Um, and 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 the, and the Mets made a run that year uh, for the playoff. It, it they they came short, but I remember they were wearing all the uh, the hats from the uh, fire department and police department all throughout the the rest of the summer and. Uh, 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 yeah. Yep. I remember. 
All right. Well, with that, uh, anyways, I uh, hope you guys uh, do well in uh, the rest of your fantasy leagues next couple weeks. Uh, next week, we'll also have a brief episode uh, to give you the waiver wire picks, and then uh, we'll have a couple episodes after recapping the year, talk about what strategies went right, went wrong, uh, what we could improve in, just a whole summation of the year, but from a strategy perspective, as we do on this show. Uh, before we go, Ruvain, why don't you just tell everybody where uh, they can see your stuff, read you, and all things Ruvain Guy. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as often as possible. Who's next up? How long the player will be out for? If they'll be out for the rest of the season at this point? And also, I have my weekly article coming out tomorrow, which or, which is Saturday, uh, on Rotoballer, which discusses all the injuries I mentioned plus a lot more. All right, and uh, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can read my stuff over at Fangraphs, Rotoballer, Sportsline. Um, and you can uh, follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to me every week on this show, uh, the Beat the Shift podcast. Um, I'll be at First Pitch Arizona. Uh, that's a great time. I've never been to the Arizona one. I've been to the Florida one. But uh, do encourage you guys, if you want to check it out, it's a great weekend worth of talking with fantasy experts and getting a lowdown on the 2022 season. Uh, check it out. I mean, I haven't been many uh, places since COVID, so I- I'm looking forward to that trip. That's coming up in just a few short weeks in early to mid-October. All right, once again, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.